The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, um, we've, you know, before you think, or just when you thought that you've heard more about the elections than you ever wanted, um, there, doesn't it seem like it's taking forever? <laughs> this, this election season has just been going on. It seems like it's been going on for years. Um, but there's another wrinkle. And, of course, it should be getting even more interesting as we get closer to, you know, we've essentially finished or almost finished with the primaries. And as it gets closer to the real election, things should be um, going up a notch. And they have already started. And what is... One of the things that's um, that's new is um, the question, I mean, it's old and yet it's new, is the question of Hillary. And is she, was she an enabler for Bill's sexcapades? You know, you, just when all that seemed like it was in the past, I mean, it's been brought up a little bit um, over the past months, but it seems like that's kind of getting into high gear, and with good reason, because, in fact, some of his sexcapades have never really been um, fully, oh, fully, uh, he's never apologized, um, he's never admitted, and the key here is, is Hillary uh, indeed not only looking the other way, but, in fact, being an enabler for his sexual addiction? Now, I'm sure you may have noticed um, in the news seeing uh, pre- former President Bill Clinton uh, stumping for Hillary. I, I, every time I see him, I feel so incredibly sorry for him. The man looks like he is not in good health, and he's out there really giving it his all, uh, trying to get people to vote for Hillary. So the question is, I mean, aside from his probably wanting to be in the White House again in another four years, um, is he trying to repay her for all the times that she looked the other way when he sexually misbehaved, and even more than that, being an enabler and covering up for these sexual indiscretions? Well, my guest today um, is, has the answer to a lot of these questions because her name is Candace E. Jackson. And she is an attorney and best-selling author of the book called Their Lives, The Women Targeted by the Clinton Machine. And I love that title, uh, Candace, because um, it is a takeoff on Bill Clinton's book called My Life, and this is Their Lives. <laughs> so welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Carroll. I appreciate it. And that's Having Bill Clinton's autobiography come out was what inspired me to write this book. It, it just seemed like there might be a few gaps in his autobiography that he might have glossed over. 
Yes, okay. I was going to ask you about that, what it was. Um, I mean, you know, a lot of people at the time that his autobiography came out would have thought that, but nobody put all the time and effort and research into writing about these women's lives like you did. So what, what really got you to do that? You know, it was a, it was a combination of uh, seeing the, the way that throughout the 1990s it, it seemed like the Clintons did get away with holding themselves up as, you know, great defenders of women's rights politically, and yet they had this pattern that had haunted them uh, of mistreating women on a personal level, and that, that paradox, I didn't feel, had ever really been uh, resolved. And then it also just made me mad that so many of these women, some of them had affairs with him and voluntarily stepped forward to talk publicly about him. Others of these women were, were sexually mistreated by Bill Clinton. They all got the same treatment, being just smeared, having their reputations maligned. Uh, they really ended up being just the butts of late-night jokes, and I felt strongly that if Bill Clinton is going to be able to devote, uh, you know, a couple of thousand pages to tell his his mm. story and his life, let's delve into the the reality and the impact of what's happened to the lives of these women who have crossed paths with him. It just seemed like part of the the full picture of the Clinton era that needed to be told. And then, of course, the Clinton era wasn't finished. You know, we all knew that that Hillary Clinton had more ambitions, and and here we are. Yes, of course. I mean, it's like those women had the scarlet letter, (laughs) um, the A uh, printed on them, you know, to the extent that they that they were talked about in the news. And, of course, we think of about former President Bill Clinton um, in regard to Monica Lewinsky, but a lot of times these other women have been sort of pushed under the rug. Um, but now one of the women who you uh, chronicle in your book, Juanita Broderick, um, is making news lately. And she has given you... Um, more of a, you know, sort of an update on her story. Why don't you start from the beginning, though, um, as far as her story is really, is really interesting because it started, it was way before, see, that's the other thing. People think mostly um, of his, you know, of his indiscretions during his presidency, but this was way back in uh, Arkansas. So tell us her story. Sure. She, Juanita Broderick was a successful businesswoman in Arkansas. She owned nursing homes there, and Bill Clinton, when he was attorney general of Arkansas and running for governor, made a campaign stop at her nursing home, and she was enthusiastic about his campaign, and the next time he saw her at an event in Little Rock, he invited her for a private meeting uh, at a hotel room, uh, and after some small talk, he, he actually pinned her down on the bed. He forcibly uh, sexually assaulted her, raped her, and it was, it was violent. It was shocking. It, it was traumatic. Um, he called her uh, several times after that, wanting to see her again. She, she didn't take his calls. He apologized to her in person in 1991, so 13 years later, uh, he approached her in person at another event in Little Rock, and he, he tried to apologize to her. 
she wondered if he might be sincere or not, but he announced his, his bid for the presidency just a couple of weeks later, and she knew that it was his way of just trying to make sure that she wouldn't make trouble for him. Uh, so she, in, in so many ways, Juanita Broderick is like any other victim of sexual assault out there. When you, you listen to her talk about the details of the powerlessness and the, the, the years of self-blame that she went through before she could bring herself to uh, blame the perpetrator instead of, uh, instead of blaming herself as the victim, it, it's very uh, compelling what she's been through. And now, you know, 40 years later... Before we go to four years later, I, I want, you know, there was the rest of that story of when they were um, at an event and he apologized. The rest of the story, I think, and particularly important these days, uh, is what Hillary did. Well, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it was clear to Juanita Broderick from the very beginning that Bill and Hillary were a team in terms of it didn't matter what Bill Clinton did to individual women. Bill and Hillary Clinton were going to stand up as a team together and protect their political careers. That was made clear to Juanita Broderick when she ran into the Clintons at a at a campaign event not too long after after the actual rape itself. And Hillary Clinton came right up to her and looked her right in the eye and and said, "Thank you for everything you do for Bill. We just want to thank you for everything you do." And it, it was just the. The way it was said, the coldness of the look in Hillary's eyes, she said, she, Juanita really took it as a message that it really doesn't matter what Bill may or may not have been up to, uh, we're, we're going to appreciate your silence. Yes, it's, you, know, you know, when you think about that, um, how, how that is so um, antithetical to what most women you know, how many women would walk over to another woman who they know their husband has had some kind of sexual dalliance with, uh, if not rape, you know, um, and say thank you? <laughs> I mean, whether it's thank you for keeping silent or thank you for servicing my man so that I don't have to do it, I, I, I mean, that's just preposterous. It is. I mean, it really speaks to some kind of strange dynamic uh, going on between the two of them. Uh, it, it, you know, Juanita Broderick puts it this way. She says, I, I probably could have respected Hillary Clinton if she had learned about something like that and uh, stood up to it and, and left her husband and, and said, wow, I, I'm going to distance myself from this kind of behavior. But instead, she... Hillary Clinton very quickly stepped into a pattern of covering up for whatever kind of uh, sexual misdeeds her husband was up to. I mean, you know, of course it's been said, and, and stories like this make it seem all the more true, that um, really uh, it, it, was, it was sort of a pact from early on between the two of them that they wanted to have, that they had these high career aspirations and um, that, you know, it, that it was more like a business deal than it was a super romantic relationship. I, I mean, the, the evidence for that has certainly piled up over the years, no doubt. Uh, I think, 
I think it's fair to say that it, it, it's difficult to judge what goes on behind the scenes for, for any particular marriage. It, it would be hard to, to judge from the outside. And I probably wouldn't have a lot of interest in analyzing the Clintons' marriage if it weren't for the way that they systematically intimidated and tried to sh- silence and, and smear women who just came forward to talk about the truth of their interactions with the Clintons. If it was all about a husband who, who was having affairs on his wife and whether she wanted to stay and forgive him, I really wouldn't have much of an interest in that. Uh, what goes on behind closed doors in a marriage, uh, none of us can really ever ever know from the outside. But this this pattern of behavior by the Clintons just crossed so many lines because it wasn't just about dealing with their own marriage. It became about attacking anyone who might become any kind of political liability to them. Yes. Yes. And, you know, when you, when you think about all these other dalliances, um, it's really interesting that the Monica Lewinsky scandal became such a big scandal when really there were all these other stories that you write about in the, in the book that, that came before that. Um, I mean, what do you think about that? Why do you think that that happened? Well, sure. I think there, there, were, there, were, two, there were only two instances, two of the women who caused so much undeniable proof of what had gone on that it forced Bill Clinton to admit to at least some of the, of the sexual misdeeds. The first was, was Paula Jones. Because she brought a lawsuit, he never admitted to harassing her or exposing himself in front of her, but he did eventually uh, have to admit meeting her, and through that lawsuit, under oath, uh, Bill Clinton eventually had to admit to having a- an affair with Jennifer Flowers. That was the first time that he admitted an extramarital affair with a particular person. And then with, uh, and then with Monica Lewinsky, again, the, the pattern of deny and smear, deny and smear continued until, uh, well, scientific proof, DNA on that blue dress, right. uh, forced him to back down and admit that, okay, there had been consensual sexual interaction. Right, so right. The, the fact that those two instances caused very specific admissions because he was backed into a corner by hard evidence with no choice, it, it really only lends credibility to all the other women who had come forward talking about everything ranging from affairs to sexual harassment. Yes. So, um, what, um, so what was the, I, I want to talk a little more about um, Juanita Broderick, and then we can talk about some of the other women. Um, what, what was the new um, news? <laughs> what did she come forward recently to tell, talk to you about? Yeah, she, Juanita Broderick has remained very quiet over the years. She, she values her privacy. She lives a, a, a quiet, uh, happy, successful life for the most part out in Arkansas, really does not want any part of the spotlight on this issue. It was a, a, a horrible, scarring assault uh, that has stayed with her all of these years, not something that she enjoys or, or seeks out to talk about. What pushed her over the edge into... Uh, speaking out more publicly this year 
was when Hillary Clinton uh, uh, sent out tweets back in December saying things like, all victims of sexual assault deserve to be believed. And Mm. Juanita tells me that just pushed her over the edge. She said Mm. that felt like a personal slap in the face for, for Hillary Clinton to pretend to stand up for women and victims that way, and yet look at all she's done to discredit and, and and smear someone like me and others like me. It, it just it, she couldn't stay quiet. So she she did want to open up and talk a little bit more about uh, what what the trauma of this has caused her uh, throughout her lifetime. You know, she's in her early seventies now, and she still deals with psychological and and, and even physical ramifications uh, of that brutal assault. Uh, just. Just one example, she suffers claustrophobia that she never had before the rape, and it's continued to this day. She, mm. she can't sit in an enclosed space without being right next to a door. It mm. just, she says it, it just brings a, a panic, uh, a feeling like she can't escape, uh, at, like she's being held down on that bed again. Hmm. Wow. So, and, and she wants people to know, you know, of course, since the election is, is in, in, its, in, in our midst, um, she wants people to know that Hillary is being a hypocrite. I think that's exactly it. I think that the, you know, she's, she's like a lot of sexual assault victims in a lot of ways, dealing with the trauma and the aftermath, the effect it had on her marriage and, and so forth. But on the other hand, not very many sex assault victims have to deal with looking at your perpetrator uh, in a, a, a public position of power and on television all the time. Mm. So keeping the Clintons out of the White House is, frankly, personal for her. Mm. She, she mm. does not think that they, that they deserve to be, to be running things. Yes, and that's true. Every time she sees him, it triggers the memories. Well, we need to take a break. Um, this is really um, interesting. We're going to talk more about Juanita, but also about the other women who you profile in your book. Uh, the book, again, is called Their Lives, The Women Targeted by the Clinton Machine. My guest is Candace E. Jackson. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and we'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com 
Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about is Hillary an enabler for Bill's Sexcapades. My guest is Candace E. Jackson. She's the author of a book called Their Lives, The Women Targeted by the Clinton Machine. And of course, all of this is very relevant today because of Hillary <laughs> running for president. Um, I wanted to read, uh, I want to read a um, portion of an NBC interview that Juanita Broderick gave. Um, as my guest will talk about afterwards, um, one of the things that's interesting is how they edited her interview and didn't really let her tell all the facts. Uh, but in any case, this, I think this um, excerpt gives you a real idea of how the woman felt and how, Juanita and how, you know, what was really going on in that room. So she said, Juanita Broderick said, Then he tries to kiss me again, and the second time he tries to kiss me, he starts biting my lip. He starts to um, bite on my top lip, and I tried to pull away from him. And then he forces me down on the bed, and I just was very frightened. And I tried to get away from him, and I told him no, that I didn't want this to happen, but he wouldn't listen to me. It was a real panicky, panicky situation. I was even to the point where I was getting very noisy, you know, yelling, please stop. And that's when he pressed down on my right shoulder and he would bite my lip. When everything was over, he got up and straightened himself and I was crying at the moment and he walks to the door and calmly puts on his sunglasses. And before he goes out the door, he says, you better get some ice on that. And he turned and went out the door. I mean, aside from um, the sexual violation, what what speaks even louder is this coldness, just walking up and walking out, you know, getting up, walking to the door and saying, you better put some ice on that, not seeing that she's crying and, and, and distraught and, you know, I'm done, I'm leaving now, bye. Say something. No, it, it does seem like a perfect example of, uh, you know, you hear it said that, Rape is is about power and violence. It's not about sex. I mean, this is about some kind of need for dominance or, or control. Right. Uh, it, it's it's chilling uh, when you when you hear uh, the description of of what that was like, and, and it's something that Juanita does not enjoy uh, reliving or recounting. But uh, that was. Um, her NBC interview on Dateline back in 1999. Um, and, you know, the, the specific details of, of the attack, uh, unfortunately, match up for uh, other women who have talked about uh, that being a, a move of his to uh, bite their lip um, enough to draw blood or leave a bruise. Um, there's another chilling part of his pattern, uh, and that is that after... Uh, an attempted groping, an attempted assault, or an actual assault. Uh, several women have reported that even though they left uh, in tears or flustered or crying, he doesn't seem to understand that it was unwanted because he contacts them again. He contacts them days or weeks or even months later repeatedly and wants to see them again. 
It's mm. as though he truly feels like they were lucky to be around him, and why wouldn't mm. they want to go have fun again? It, it, mm-hmm. it, it's sickening. Yeah. Um, I mean, of course, it all started <laughs> with his relationship with his mother. When, when my first book came out, Bad Boys, Why We Love Them, How to Live With Them, and When to Leave Them, it was right when the Monica Lewinsky scandal was happening. And so I did a ton of interviews talking about what kind of bad boy <laughs> Bill was. And, of course, in general, my premise was and is that um, bad boys are made by their, just the dysfunctional relationship they have with their mother. Mm-hmm. And so obviously, um, you know, and, and it's, you know, on the one hand, yes, uh, especially when he became president, I mean, yes, he was, or even when he was governor, yes, or, or um, even when he was with Juanita Broderick, when he had a position of political power, um, yes, in a way you can talk yourself into uh, how lucky these women are to just be with me because I'm, you know, look at me, I'm in this position, but... But it's, it's, there's also a sick part of that because um, really they, if a man felt that confident, they wouldn't have to go around um, taking these sexual favors. They, you know, they would, I mean, aside from the issue of being married, they would just, they wouldn't need to do this if, it, if they had a healthy relationship with women. That's a great point. I mean, that, that certainly seems to come through in, in the pattern of Bill Clinton's life. It's interesting reading his, his own autobiography and the way that he talks about the women in his life, his mother, his grandmother, uh, his wife, his daughter. Uh, there, there is a bit of a, of a, of a pattern. I, you know, on the one hand, he seems to sort of idealize some of those female figures, but on the other hand, it's um, in a, a distanced or, or kind of patronizing way. And so there, there are definitely issues there. And I'm not the professional to comment on them, but, but I can spot some of them. Well, part of it had to do with the fact that um, his mother married a man who became his stepfather who was abusive. And he was um, angry at her for allowing this man to keep being abusive towards him. That would, ex- that, that would explain a lot, absolutely. So, I mean, yes, it's this anger towards women that keeps being acted out in these different ways. You know, um, again, with, with Juanita, what, what I found interesting was how Bill seemed to groom her. Um, you know, as you said, they first met when he was visiting her nursing home uh, that she was the administrator of or the owner of, and um, then she in- indicated that she wanted to volunteer for his campaign, and she cont- when she was in, um, in town in Little Rock for a conference, she contacted uh, his office to, to volunteer, and then he's, he's the one who... Um, suggested that they meet at her hotel coffee shop, and then they met at the coffee shop. And then he just—oh, he, he told her that they, you know, that he, he was not going to be in his office, but he'll come to her hotel coffee shop. And then he says, um, "Well, why don't they have coffee in the room? Because there's all these reporters and so on in the lobby." I mean, he was. It, this was so planned. So it's like it, it's mm-hmm. like a. I mean, it is like a rapist or it is like a child predator who, who grooms the victim and, and gradually gets them uh, more into their, under their control. Yes, and he had, he had uh, the apparatus of government at his, at his disposal. I mean, he, he used law enforcement officers, uh, state troopers and, and security guards, etc., to usher these women to meetings with him 
Uh, Juanita was one. Paula Jones uh, was ushered into meetings with him like that. Jennifer Flowers, even though it was a voluntary affair with Bill Clinton, talks a lot about the, the, the feeling of pressure. What was she going to do? Uh, you know, report anything to the police when it was the police bringing her to Bill Clinton? It's mm-hmm. just the whole, the, the aspect of, of abuse of the position of power uh, just adds, I think, an extra layer to the, uh, the victimization of these women. Yes, yes. Um, that's right. When you, when you have guards bringing you to your um, perpetrator. <coughs> uh, tell us about some of the other women. Like, who, who do you think was most damaged by the Clintons? Oh, how to choose, how yes. to pick one. It, it would be hard to rank them uh, in, in different ways. Uh, I go through chapter by chapter in, in my book, and, and they were really influenced in, and impacted in, in such different ways. You know, being at different points in their lives, uh, depending on whether they initially fell in love with Bill Clinton and, and trusted him versus just had his advances thrust upon them. Um, I mean, you could look at somebody like Monica Lewinsky. She was a 21-year-old young girl, and you know she has spoken out a little bit publicly over the last couple of years now, you know, 20 years later, uh, and she has disclosed the, the impact on her life. She has been very seriously suicidal at different points uh, throughout the last 15 years. Um, it, it has damaged her incalculably. Um, you know, Juanita Broderick. Well, well, uh, you, you know, it's so it's with with Monica Lewinsky. It's so interesting because, um, I mean, yes, she was so young, and um, and of course, you know what this did to her. Well, what it does to all women when they're raped or forcibly um, assaulted, sexually assaulted. Of course, it affects forever their relationship with men in the future. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's like. It's it's it affected her completely in these terrible ways, and yet she would have to admit, um, I imagine that you know on the one hand she loved all the attention that it gave her, but it was a double-edged sword. I mean, nobody would have known who Monica Lewinsky was um, were it not for this uh, scandal with Bill Clinton. But but it was a double-edged sword because it also ruined the rest of her life. Exactly. I think she would prefer to have <laughs> gone the rest of her life without the world knowing her name than to have it known this way. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's... Uh, I think she takes responsibility for the fact that, that she chose to enter into to an affair, but the power differential that existed, the age differential that existed, I mean, there's just no question that, that she was seduced uh, and, and uh, you know, lured into a, a, a relationship and a situation that was unhealthy for her. Uh, and then she was completely betrayed. She trusted Bill Clinton uh, utterly. She did not think that he would deny her or or turn on her at all. Uh, and so f- to find herself dragged through the horrible legal proceedings with impeachment and the Kenneth Starr prosecutions, it was overwhelming, it was frightening, and then she escaped the whole situation being just, you know, this complete national joke. And, and it's, mm-hmm. it's beyond 
humiliating and the toll that it took on her self-esteem, I, I don't think there are words for it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you're saying, you know, that she, well, she had this, this sort of schoolgirl crush and, and had hoped that they would get married and walk into the sunset together. Right? I think she had, the, it seems like she did have those fantasies. Yes. And, so, and it, <laughs> I so think when she, he she acknowledges there, her role in it, but... So when he stood there and said, I did not have sex with that woman... <laughs> he, oh, that it ripped was her heart of, out. It yes. ripped her heart out. I mean, to be called that woman as though he barely knew her, uh, it, it just... It broke her. Yes, yes. And, you know, if, um, I was talking about dysfunctional relationships that these bad boys have with their mother and the women who go after these bad boys um, do so because of their dysfunctional relationship with their father. They're attracted Mm -hmm. to men who um, are either like their father or opposite from their father or have some connection. There is some psychological connection to their father that they're trying to um, relive and have it turn out in a happier way. And um, Monica's father was a busy doctor who um, had little time for his family, and um, he had had an affair or affairs, and um, she was looking, you know, no doubt that she was part of it, was that she was looking for a father figure to, uh, to replace the love or to give her the love that she didn't get enough of from her own father. And it's so interesting because all these psychological things always, you know, and she wound up being betrayed by Bill just like she had been betrayed by her father, who <coughs> was having these affairs. Oh, I mean, it does, it does put the puzzle pieces together like that, and it just, uh, it's a, it ends up being a, a tragic picture, uh, but you're right, there, there are, are reasons why the, the attraction existed on both sides. Yes. Yeah, so tell us about some, some more of the, um, I mean, I guess it is hard to rank who, who was the most damaged. Um, uh, Juanita didn't tell the, her, the husband who she had at the time, um, Gary Hickey, but then, and, and actually, ironically, is this true? I was reading that she, at the time she was having an affair with the man who she ultimately married, David Broderick. That is true. She had, her first marriage had been in trouble and on the rocks and estranged already. It was on the way out. You know, it's so interesting, though, that still she's, that she still wouldn't have, um, didn't either want to betray her husband or didn't want to betray the man she was having the affair with or whatever, um, but, you know, that she still didn't want Bill Clinton, <laughs> regardless of what her current uh, love life was. No, I think she. I think that in the aftermath, it, it was so confusing and so traumatizing, uh, and she battled self-blame for so long that she just didn't know who to talk to or, or who to turn to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I think it's interesting to mention because it just to show more of the validity that at the time she that she was in Little Rock for this conference, she had as a roommate a woman who was also attending the conference. And when the roommate came back, she found uh, Juanita in a state of disarray, a state of shock. Um, her pantyhose were torn in the crotch. Her lip was swollen. You know, so it's it's it, there's. Um, 
there's validity, there's confirmation of that. She didn't make this up. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, no, she, she did talk to uh, a small handful of very close friends uh, the same day or within a, a couple of days after. So it's not something she kept uh, purely to herself. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people ask, well, why wouldn't she go to the police? And, you know, it, it's similar to a lot of uh, rape victims. The, there are delays in reporting to the police, and, and uh, non-reporting is still very prevalent. Um, and, and this was, you know, 40 years ago. It was even more prevalent back then for women not to feel comfortable reporting, either because of the impact that, that, that it would have on relationships with husbands or boyfriends, or the fear, the very real fear that the police and court system would blame the victim. Uh, things have improved, I think, overall in our, in our uh, social and legal system, but uh, we still have some room to go even now. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, I want to talk some more about some of the other women. Um, and and um, what, well, actually, I wanted to ask you about, before we get into, I wanted to ask you um, about your trip. You went to see, you tried to get in to see former President Clinton, um, asking that he sign an apology to the women in your book. I did. When my book came out, I thought it would be interesting because the 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 Clintons have never directly addressed uh, one way or the other, never denied, never explained the specific allegations, especially from Juanita Broderick and Kathleen Willey. Uh, Bill Clinton testified uh, under oath uh, denying uh, even taking a meeting with Kathleen Willey, but that was later proved not to be true. So uh, especially the assault on Juanita Broderick has never been directly addressed uh, in any way by the Clintons. And, and so we, we did. We stopped in in, in New York um, and uh, tried to ask for an appointment to, uh, to confront him with, uh, with, with this. And uh, we were turned away. Hmm. And this was in 2005 when the book first came out? Right. You know, it's interesting, and we need to take a break now. It's interesting. Um, I, I'm looking at your, uh, uh, the Amazon rankings, and you're doing quite well. <laughs> the book was published in 2005, but it is still very relevant today. Well, we need to take a break. Um, my guest is Candace E. Jackson. And um, we're talking about Hillary being an enabler for Bill's sexcapades. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, and we'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? 
call the Terrorism Hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest is Candace E. Jackson. She's the author of a book, I was going to say a new book, but it's sort of newly in the news, called Their Lives, The Women Targeted by the Clinton Machine. And of course, um, as I was saying before the break, it is now doing quite well again um, because of Hillary running for president and all these questions that are coming up about her being, you know, what does that mean um, that she has been um, and probably still is an enabler for Bill's sexcapade? Should we care about uh, a president doing that? What does that mean about what does she really think about women? I mean, this whole thing, Trump has gotten so much criticism um, about his attitudes or, you know, various things that people say against him in regard to um, him and women. But what about Hillary? Yes, she is a woman, but look what she's done to women. Is that not worse? Um, During the break, I was asking Candace about... um, we, we got onto the topic of of um, her, her going to the Clinton Library um, around the same time that the book came out in 2005, when when she tried getting getting an apology from Bill to all to no avail, and go ahead and tell this really amazing story. We Juanita Broderick and Kathleen Willie and I decided to pay a visit to the the relatively new Clinton Library at the time. Uh, those two women felt like maybe it would give them some closure to uh, walk through the the history of the Clinton years and uh, kind of put into perspective where they fit in the history of of, uh, of those years. And and so we did. We we walked the library. We took the tour. Uh, we we spotted the exact uh, White House schedule listing the date of Kathleen Willie's appointment with Bill hmm. Clinton where they met in the Oval Office and, and he uh, forced himself on her. Um, and I was surprised at the, at the irony when I talked to Juanita Broderick just, just a couple of months ago to learn that she now has a 13-year-old grandson and he first had to learn of his grandma's uh, sexual assault by taking a field trip, a class field trip to the Clinton Library, and he, tell, he told me all of a sudden the tour guide said my grandma's name, and, and huh. he didn't know what was going on, and he had to go home and ask his, ask his grandma about it, and Juanita had to have a very uncomfortable conversation with, with her young grandson. So the, the ugliness of, of this uh, incident for Juanita just, just continues over the years. Hmm. Well, you know, but I'm surprised that... Um that a tour guide, well, first of all, you know, I mean, you could kind of question, I don't know, was it a tour guide just with kids or? He said like it was a, someone with the library. 
No, but I mean, I mean, was it a was it a tour group of school kids, or was it mixed? Uh, just various people coming. I mean, I'm surprised that a tour guide at the Clinton Library would talk about any of the affairs or sexual assaults that Clinton um, is alleged to have had. I was surprised to hear that Juanita Broderick's name would come up uh, as part of any kind of library tour, also. Um, I, I suppose, you know, Clinton's memoirs are specific about acknowledging uh, the affair with Jennifer Flowers, uh, the lawsuit with Paula Jones. He doesn't mention Juanita Broderick by name, but it, her story is part of the political impeachment story. Uh, so I suppose it, it uh, fits in just as a, a matter of historical record. Hmm. But I, I guess I was thinking that they'd want everything to be sort of glossed over and just be, um, uh, just make everything look nice <laughs> at the Clinton, you know, at the Clinton Library. That there was nothing he did wrong. I, you know, I, that, that actually leads to a very fascinating point. I think one of the reasons why the Clintons got a relatively free pass for all of this through the '90s was precisely because. Clinton was able to turn around and point a finger at his political opponents on the right and say, wow, they are so overreacting and they are going so far uh, uh, to attack me and even want to impeach me for personal failings. Uh, he got a lot of mileage out of that. And, and I can actually see where it fits into Clinton's worldview to include that as part of his library. Look how much the right-wing conspiracy tried to attack mm. me and do me in. Mm-mm, yes, okay. <clears throat> yeah, I can see that part of it. Well, all right. Um, who, so tell us all the, who are the other um, seven women in your book? So uh, the, the book chronicles, and, and I really, I, I, I had to pick, I, I had to pick seven <laughs> or eight. There are, there are others out there, uh, but the book could only be so long, so... <laughs> Uh, roughly in chronological order, um, except for Juanita Broderick appearing at the end, the, the rest are, are, are in chronological order, um, starting with uh, Elizabeth Ward Grayson. Uh, Bill Clinton seemed to have a, a thing for beauty queens, beauty pageant winners, and she had a, a brief affair with um, then-Governor Clinton, uh, Sally Perdue. She now goes by, currently goes by uh, Sally Miller, um, she had, a, an, a vol, again, a voluntary affair with Bill Clinton. Uh, Jennifer Flowers uh, was very close to Bill Clinton and had an ongoing love affair with him for about 12 years um, while he was governor. He ended it just before running for president. Um, and then you have Paula Jones, uh, Kathleen Willey, and uh, Juanita Broderick and Monica Lewinsky. And how easy or difficult was it for you to get these women to talk to you and share all these personal details? Well, you know, by, by the time we were putting the book together, it had been several years, and so some, some women were very reluctant because they had put this behind them to a large extent and, and didn't really have a, a big interest in revisiting it. Um, but for the most part, the, the idea of uh, gaining 
gaining their trust in terms of saying this isn't about stirring up uh, a controversy that, that will land you back in the middle of the spotlight again. It really is about creating a historical record of telling things from your side in a way that the media just didn't do mm. uh, last decade. Mm, yes. That's, yes, I could see where that would be a very powerful reason for them to want to do it. Um, so let's talk about so what this means for Hillary today. I mean, what... What um, what do you think people should? I mean, I was asking that question rhetorically before um, the before the break. What what do you think this people should think about? Do you think that, in other words, do you think people should think well, if she's been covering up for Bill and even being an enabler for Bill and all of this, um, does that mean that she's not going to be a good president? <laughs> yeah, I, Bill Clinton himself managed to kind of dodge the character issue back in 92 and 96 for his re-election. Uh, I, think, I think Hillary Clinton is going to have a much more difficult time escaping uh, the impact of, of character, trustworthiness, integrity uh, on, uh, on a, a presidential candidate. Uh, for, for one thing, frankly, she doesn't have her, her husband's natural charm as a politician. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't matter who you talk to. Anyone who was personally crossing paths with Bill Clinton almost in any regard will tell you absolutely he was personable and charming and uh, could, could kind of talk his way into or out of anything. Uh, Hillary Clinton doesn't have that ability, and, and I think it's going to be much more of a problem for her now than it was for him back then uh, to convince people that, well, even if you think that I abused some people, stepped on them to get where I wanted to go, uh, it really shouldn't matter to how I would govern because I've got great policies. I, I just think that that's going to be too difficult for, for a lot of voters to swallow. Mm-hmm. And I guess also, you know, there were a lot of, in the past, when this was, when these different um, uh, scandals were coming to light, um, or questions, uh, people, a lot of people thought that Hillary shouldn't have stood by her man, that she should have left him then. I mean, how much do you think that that's going to be a factor? Do you think people, like, don't remember so well all of these stories, um, or would would you know, could understand why a wooden, woman wouldn't leave her husband, um, especially they have a grandchild now. I mean, how do you think that's going to come into play? I hope that we don't allow Hillary Clinton to frame the issue quite that way because okay. to me it, it's not about judging a wife for standing by a husband who has cheated on her uh, or disrespected her. That really, truly, that is between a husband and a wife, and and I have no interest in in judging that. Uh, But we need to frame the issue as Hillary Clinton decided to take an active role in punishing women who spoke up and told about their experiences with Bill Clinton. Uh, there, there was uh, th- there was room for Hillary to make uh, a, a different choice. She didn't have to divorce him necessarily, but she also didn't have to take an active role in going so far to protect and enable him that she personally directed and orchestrated the the smear team. They 
the, the Clinton loyalists uh, who called themselves the Defense Department, getting together uh, affidavits to run around and bribe or threaten these women into signing, uh, looking up uh, estranged friends and relatives to say horrible things about these women, anything mm-hmm. that could be done to... Uh, discredit any of these women even before the, they had gone public. And that was something Hillary Clinton had a, had a hand in uh, personally. You know, people who, who want to try to compare Bill Clinton's woman problem to Donald Trump's, you know, one thing I notice is Donald Trump has been open about having affairs and cheating on his wives and uh, maybe making some comments that might be viewed as sexist or condescending. But no matter what woman the New York Times has tried to interview, one of which at least has completely recanted and said the New York Times got it wrong, but any of the women who have been interviewed, I have not heard one single thing yet about Donald Trump or anyone on his team trying to go out and, and intimidate and, or bribe or threaten these women to keep quiet. That's my problem with what Hillary's role was in mistreating these women. She had no control over Bill uh, sexually assaulting or raping anyone, but she absolutely had control over whether she wanted to participate in punishing them. That's interesting that you said that, that they would, she would get na- neighbors or friends or relatives um, tell them about horrible things about these women even before the women made it super public? That's exactly right. It was preemptive. Uh, a Clinton loyalist by the name of Betsy Wright, for example, has, after the Clintons left the White House, gone on the record with, uh, I believe, Carl Bernstein for his book and got very detailed about how in 1991 they started being proactive and preemptive, sitting Bill and Hillary down and saying, give us the names of everyone you can think of, every woman who could even possibly cause you a problem, and we're going to go out and stop it now. But how did it stop it if they told their family members or, you know, their circles that, I mean, it was said that what, that these women were liars? If this woman tells you that Bill Clinton assaulted her, she's a liar. Absolutely. That was the kind of thing? There was a pattern of, there, there was a, a combination of bribes, and if that didn't work, threats. Uh, preemptive measures like going out and collecting statements that, that would say, uh, you know, this relative of mine is just a gold digger, just wants hmm. the spotlight. And frankly, you know, some of these women, their backgrounds lent themselves to those kinds of accusations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Jennifer Flowers, a you know, lounge singer, wanted to make it big. You know, <laughs> some of these women took money from tabloids to talk, to talk about their story. I mean, some of them didn't help their own case, but that doesn't change the fact that it was the Clintons personally who started the war against these women. Hmm. Wow. Well, do you think that this is going to become um, even louder, uh, these issues, the stories that you have in your book, um, as we get closer to the real presidential election? I absolutely do. I think that we've only seen the beginning. I think that if... If we weren't dealing with a Republican nominee who was willing to personally speak out, maybe this issue would would kind of go by the wayside, but Donald Trump is willing to talk about it, and these women are willing to stand up and and try to get America to to take into account what they've been through. Wow. So this is going to be quite a wave that's coming (laughs) with all of this. 
Well, thank you so much, um, Candace e. Jackson. I mean, where would you like? Obviously, your book can be found on Amazon. Um, and the name again is Their Lives, the Women Targeted by the Clinton Machine. And um, where is that where you would like them to go to get it or tell, tell people where they can buy it? Sure, Amazon, or you can visit, the publisher is worldnetdaily.com, and you can look it up on WorldNet Daily. They've got all kinds of great content on their website, including the book. Yes, yes, and that's, it's so interesting. That's such a perfect book to be uh, published by them. It was, and it used to be called, when, you, when your book was published, it was called World Ahead Publishing, and now it's um, WorldNet Daily. Oh, exactly. So, um, well, thank you so much. This was so interesting, and I'm looking forward to seeing this uh, blow up, shall we say, um, in the future. I mean, it certainly is something that she does need to be confronted with and questioned about. So thank you again for being on the show, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 